0: Daydreaming
1: today. What's up, everybody? Welcome to How Musicians Make It. My name is Adam and I'm your host. And today I'm talking with Jay Epstein, the great jazz drummer. And uh, I learned in our conversation he also toured with a rock band for a while in the late 1960s, early 1970s, rubbed shoulders with people like Jimi Hendrix. Like, what? Like, what? Uh, it was really amazing talking with him. We we got real deep on music. On he talked a lot about like you know music business kind of things as well, like economic type things for musicians, things for musicians to consider when you're making a career out of this thing. And he's been doing it full time his whole career, and he's been in it a long time. Obviously, because you know he really started out. In the 1960s, playing in high school, and went and saw. Like he tells this story about seeing John Coltrane near the end of the episode. It's just like, it's just so great. It's so great. There's some real emotion there, uh, real connection. And Jay's just this beautiful human. You know, we, I moved to town uh, to Minneapolis in like 2008, and Jay was like one of the arbiters of the scene. You know, like one of the dudes, one of the longtime dudes. And he was always open to playing with us You know, that was the one thing that I remember It was like, he was always down He was like, come on over to my house Let's rehearse in, your ba- let's rehearse in my basement He was always down to play gigs He was always down to jam He always had his daytimes open Because he never had a job He never had a day job You know, it's like, this is what he, do- he did his whole career And So it's real inspiring to talk with him um, I'm on the road right now I'm in Minneapolis this week So this interview was actually done in person If you want to check out the uh, video of me sitting in Jay's living room, you can check that out on YouTube on our How Musicians Make It channel. And Jay mentioned some things in the episode, like you know, hit the th- the three albums he would bring on an island, on a desert island, you know, that kind of stuff, and like three things that he uh, would say to new musicians, new new artists, up and coming musicians, up and coming artists. And, you know, I'll put that stuff in the show notes so that you can see that stuff. And I'll link some of Jay's music in the show notes as well. But before we get there, uh, yeah, I'm on the road this week. I'll tell you a little bit about what I'm doing. Uh, I just spent last weekend in Bismarck, North Dakota, um, hanging out with my buddy Scott Agster. We did a podcast episode as well. And I was a guest artist at a jazz festival there. At the University of Mary And that's like a whole thing Scott and I Kind of broke down Those types of festivals And And The fact that they can like Pay a bunch of money And it can be a real like Solid side hustle Or like A main hustle Depending on who you are And what your level of You know Performance And Education skills There's It's a combo Right You gotta gotta be a really great player And you gotta be a really great educator That's what those festivals are about Um So yeah, I'm out doing that I am in Minneapolis a couple of days So I'm doing interviews Like while I'm here I did Agster in Bismarck I did Jay Epstein here in Minneapolis I'm also going to talk with Joanne Parker on Wednesday And and then I'm back into North Dakota again Because North Dakota thinks I'm cool And I'm the guest artist At the North Dakota State University Jazz Festival So I'll be there for a couple of days They're playing a couple of my tunes And I'm working with their students so it'll be a fun. It'll be a fun time. Hanging out with them. It's about it's about a 10-day stretch of me being on the road, which is really fun and really nice. I love traveling, I love being out and my boys are a little older now and so that's a little easier. You know, it got real hard like I was doing 6-week tours when when Augie was a baby with uh Young Blood Brass Band and that was tough. It was a tough stretch of time. I spent today in the studio with Jason McGlone in Minneapolis working on this new sampled record that I've been talking about forever for two years I've been talking about this record because I've been working on it for two years it's outrageous (laughs) but it's really just sounding amazing it's been so much to put together because it's this massive project where I had producers sample my big band music and turn it into beats and other kinds of songs and then I collaborated with like hip hop artists and soul singers and singers and jazz instrumentalists and you know, all kinds of different people are on the record. Caroline Davis, who's been on the podcast, is on the record. Felix from High Respects, the great hip-hop group from Minneapolis, is on the record. Toki Wright, who was on my 2018 Magnificent Madness release, is on the record. He's a rapper, Emmy Award-winning rapper. Um, Kyle Raps is on the record, who's a really amazing hip-hop artist out of L.A. Uh, Luis Sarmiento, saxophonist. My Buddy Scott, Axter, uh, trombonist, is on the record. Yeah, who else? Uh, Jason Favis did two of the tracks. Um, Danelle, who I believe is going to go by Sa- Zah the Great, is an old friend and a really great hip-hop artist out of St. Paul. She's on the record. And King Perry from L.A. did a track on the record with Cameron Kinghorn. Elise Jones is on the record, great vocalist. My wife, Jana, is on the record singing on a couple tunes. Gigamesh did a track. Uh, Gigamesh is like a indie... Indie disco DJ Kind of dude Really amazing artist Makes incredible music Who else Oh it's so many people It's been a bear It's been a bear To put this thing together I'll be honest with you uh, Brandon Commodore Did one of the beats Who was the drummer For you know Stokely And Sounds of Blackness Occasionally I believe he's played drums for, Well Stokely's the dude I think From In Condition He's been on the podcast Uh who else so many people medium Zach, who's a beat maker did did one of the beats that's just fire absolute fire Carnage the executioner, the rapper is on the record as well so it's just been this massive project and it's it's been a really i I've been learning a lot about being a producer, you know putting such a massive project together, what it takes to do it, how much money it takes to do it. We're probably gonna print vinyl, I'll do some pre-sales. I want a grant to do it. For those of you who don't know, because I've talked about it, but it's been a long time. I want a fifteen thousand dollar grant to make the record and basically just like went after the people I wanted on the record pretty quickly and just said, like, look, let's do this. I'm probably oh, Andrew Foreman, my my old friend who played bass in Nookie Jones, he's doing a whole bunch of sampling and a whole bunch of beat making using Ableton. And he comes up with this really creative, interesting soundscapes—not even really beats. I wouldn't say like it's just like he's using Ableton to make these really creative and interesting things. And he did that on this. I'm rapping on a song. What? Yes, it's happening. I apologize to everyone who only wants to hear me trumpet, but it's happening. And my buddy Jesse Irazari, uh, high school friend, who is now a producer in Florida and is a rapper singer. Uh, he made he made a few beats. For me as well That I'm just now Starting to layer trumpets on And I think he's going to Feature on one of them crazy thing is That Jesse and I Had a Singing group A four person Singing group In high school Like Jesse's a dude Who like We we would be in gym class And we'd be running around the, The track you know Just like half Half ass in gym class And He would be rapping To my Like I would be beatboxing And he would be Just rapping, He would be, like, freestyling. And he was so good at it. Like, I just remember him being so good at freestyling. It blew us all away. And then we started a a singing group, and we had this four-part singing group where we would do, like, Temptations tunes. Earth Angel, Earth Angel. You know, that kind of stuff. And one of the guys in that band, you know, I started a rock band with, and we did that thing. And, like, won a Battle of the Bands contest and sang in three-part harmony in that group. And I, like, played guitar and wrote songs and... So we got a lot of history Jesse and I uh, We were in band together He played tuba and saxophone So two very different instruments And his dad I remember We would go back to his house And his dad would just be Shedding violin Four hours You know He'd do four hours a day I remember It was something like that Jesse would go Yeah it's my dad He's up there He does four hours Every afternoon or whatever So we'd be at their house We'd be practicing our singing And all that stuff And we would play like Parties Cotillions Little You know Like there were You know Jesse's Puerto Rican and one of our other dudes in the band was Asian and it was just like there was these cultural things that I was experiencing that I hadn't been exposed to uh like these coming of age parties that are thrown in other cultures and, and we would sing at them it was really fun we would sing these tunes old barbershop tunes and like you know I think it was at the time this is like 2002 probably 2001 2002 this is like the height of like Backstreet Boys and you know NSYNC and stuff, probably. For sure And I always loved The Temptations Like I watched that Made for TV movie On a billion times And you know We would Model some of what We did off of that But anyways Jesse and I have A long history And it was really fun To get him involved In the project too And I'm really excited To put it out So eventually I'll like Link things in show notes And talk about it On the podcast A little bit more Maybe have some people From the record On the podcast again Because a lot of these people Have already been on the pod but uh, yeah that's what I'm up to I will be in Fargo in a few days And then I'll be back in my home My home, Hanging with my boys and my wife And uh, apparently it's raining up there Even though like we are historically A town that gets like epic snow 250-300 inches of snow a year So it's kind of sad to get rain. My wife loves skiing She's a ski coach up there I'm telling you a little bit about myself. What do you think about that? Do you like it? How are you doing today? You doing good? Taking care of business? Getting some rest? Some relaxation? You are recharging? Are you grinding? You hitting the gym in the morning? That's what I've been doing. I've been hitting the gym. I've been shedding my buns off on the horn. It's been fun. It's been fun to feel rejuvenated playing with those cats in Bismarck helped rejuvenate me and it's kind of fun to have students come up to you and be like um hello mr meckler um one one young lady called me sir that was like <laughs> i was like who are you, who are you talking to me is that me am i the sir oh boy i must start i must be looking old uh that's why I'm in the gym baby trying to look younger but i'll tell you what it's fun to it's fun to have students kind of geek out over you a little bit and feel a bit like a rock star. It helps my ego. You know, it helps it helps feed my ego a little bit. I need that a little bit every now and then. One student said, um, "Yes, I heard that you're down to earth. So, can I, is it okay if I ask you some questions?" I was like, "Yeah, come on, let's talk. Let's say like, down to earth. Sure, I'm down to earth. You know, this is funny because my students at Michigan Tech, they're I'm, I'm like, they're like, whatever, screw you, Meckler. They don't care." I'm old news to them. They're around me all the time. I'm special when I go somewhere else. <laughs> uh it's fun it's it is fun to be special. because you know those students are like they're learning my music leading up to it. They're listening to my music, they're watching my YouTube videos, and they're like, Oh my gosh, he's here now. You know, so there's that element that's pretty cool. And uh I think I said this, but Amy Nolte was on the festival and she's got a huge YouTube music channel. Two hundred seventy-five thousand subs on that, and uh, we hung and we played. And she is a ridiculous piano player, ridiculous, amazing singer too. But I didn't really play with her singing; I played with her on piano, and so I got to hear her burn on piano. And She was absolutely burning, absolutely burning. So it's fun to meet somebody who's like got a huge online following and also is a total badass player, you know. Uh, so I'll probably you know check in with her and see if I can get her on the pod too at some point but before we get to the interview with Jay because this is a fantastic interview I'll just tell you a little bit about Gig Boss. Gig Boss is my company it's an app it's an organizational tool for freelance musicians and band leaders We got photographers using it too, and it's just a way for you to like track your income, track your schedule, track the details of gigs, get everybody in the band on the same page, right? You can create groups and events, and you can pair groups to events. And when you put the details in the event, everybody in the band gets an email and they can accept or decline. And then it shows up in their scrolling feed of gigs on the app, and those people can click on a square and they can, you know, contact a member of the band. They can see the details of the gig, they can get directions to the gig through the app, they can, you know, go to the notes section and find links to charts and recordings if you put them there it's pretty slick and I got two awesome devs working on it that are both musicians that both are like man what if it had this and what if it had that and oh one of my bands is using it and they're asking about this and so we're, we're adding stuff we're going to add stuff we're working on hard on uh, removing some old code and replacing it and, and it's been a few months of that but there's new versions coming and I appreciate you all sticking with us we're finally getting paid for it a little bit there's a sub uh, subscription service through the app uh, for the books page so if you want that advanced financial tracking page it's four ninety nine a month it's pretty fun to get to that place and if you like this podcast and you want to support what I'm doing that's a great way to do it go check out that uh, go check out that app without further ado here's my interview with the great Jay Epstein do it really yeah so you've always played yes has playing always been your full time thing Adam, I've never had a day job. That's killing. I never.
0: And uh, uh, when I, uh, I mean, the only jobs I ever really had in life. I, I, I mean, I, I have a, a <clears throat> teaching degree in math and chemistry. I thought I was gonna uh, fall back on <clears throat> teaching or at least sub, substitute teaching or something. But no, the only jobs I ever had were uh, when I was a, a kid. Uh, delivering newspapers uh, and uh, being a pin setter in a bowling alley to sure nice finance yeah awesome. my first drum set wow uh, other so than did, that, you, did you grow up here I grew up in Winona in Winona okay Minnesota uh, relatively small town but there was uh, there was uh, a, a a really good uh, uh, college professor, uh, that, uh, d- was a jazz player. He ran the, uh, Winona State College, uh, big band. Yeah. And, um, right away when I was a freshman in high school, he kind of took me under his wing. Cause I, 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 I loved his music. He knew that. Yeah. And number two, I, uh, uh, I had already been immersed in, in a lot of, um, music a lot of jazz that I that I was attracted to Cool. I mean honestly I didn't have any chops or uh, <laughs> or, or you know or anything but I had a a decent swing beat and that's all I cared about sure you know for doing lots of gigs So I, I right away when I was a freshman sophomore I was playing every weekend uh, with these older guys 40s and 50s and 60s that that have been in 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 big bands in the big band era of the 30s and 40s yeah so these guys all kind of took me under their wing thankfully
1: yeah awesome so you started playing that's high school or like yeah. because the director there's at oh, the yeah. university but yeah you were playing on the weekends yeah I, mean, I was that's playing, playing all the weekends hey. I don't remember ever playing gigs I mean like <laughs> occasionally in high school you know yeah. some people would organize some things but that seems
0: No, I told my band director my band director at my high school I couldn't play I couldn't play in the marching band and make formations on the football
1: field anymore cuz I had gigs That's awesome. on the <laughs> on the weekends. Yeah. So you went to school for math? Yeah. And didn't go to school for music. Did you study no. music at all while you were in school? Uh only in in I just
0: played in the bands and orchestras yeah. in, the, in college big band then uh, no, I, uh, I, I'm really, I'm mostly self-taught. Um, I, uh, when I, I, I used to be in, I, I for a while I lived in Hollywood, California when I was with this rock band Gypsy and I took lessons from, um, a guy named Roy Hart. He's a really good, uh, bebop drummer mm-hmm. that owned a drum shop there called Drum City and then uh, when I moved to uh, Minneapolis, I took a few lessons with uh, Marv Dahlgren, okay. a famous jazz educator and percussionist that wrote uh, four-way coordination, one of our little Bibles. Okay. And wow. uh, then I studied, then I, I was in New York for a while, and I studied uh, with uh, Barry a drummer in. Chick Corea's circle with Anthony Braxton and Dave Holland. Ooh. Barry was playing with those guys and, um, and, uh, uh other, a little more freer kind of, uh, uh, grouping of people. But I was intrigued at that time. You know, I, I'd, I'd been studying all my bebop drum kinds of things but i was also intrigued with freer kinds of playing too mm. and not that you have to take lessons to do that yeah but there's there's some people that uh, that can somehow uh bring out some gorgeous things in 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 a little freer element uh, than others some guys just don't they they're they're either too bombastic or they're not listening enough to the other guys and so I mm. I, I, I I I was more intrigued with that kind of gray area cool. of of
1: drumming and I pursue that for a little while so let's talk timeline like sure Hollywood California when are we talking uh
0: 69 no yeah 69 70 71 okay I lived in Hollywood uh and um even though i was playing a lot of uh, rock shows uh, w- uh, with this, with this rock band i uh, on all my nights off of course i ran over to the uh, to shelly's manhole yep. which is a famous jazz club in hollywood it was only about a mile from my house and uh, so i was there a lot of nights uh, all my off nights and and there's another place called the lighthouse in hermosa beach and i hung were you sitting out there
1: in jam sessions or just a going to hear music a couple of little
0: jam sessions but but uh, i was uh, i wasn't really making a lot of jazz connections there at all because this other thing
1: took up all really all my time the, the rock the, band
0: yes they had so a,
1: what kind of success was the rock band having were you guys touring a lot yeah wow so what was that what was that like touring in the Uh, Well, we had a big uh,
0: old school bus painted red, white, and blue. Uh, and It would would, uh, tour around the country uh, playing concerts, and uh, that that seemed to attract a lot of gendarmes uh, all around the country because we had long hair, and uh, it was obvious uh, that we were... uh, hooligans, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, then for, uh, actually for two years, uh, we were the house band at the Whiskey A Go-Go, uh, hmm. a famous yeah rock club in in Hollywood, and so I, I was playing there a lot of nights out of the week, and we would do the, uh, the, the, uh, the opening set for name bands, all the, lots of name bands. Did BB you guys King, ever... Headlines on BB King, you open for King door. Crimson, the Kinks, uh, yeah. uh, 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 Albert King, uh, Little Richard, who wow. played for you know, at that time. Do you hang with any of those guys? I rubbed shoulders with a lot of those guys. Yeah. Uh, Jimi Hendrix came up to and visited us, and holy smokes, uh, in our dressing rooms, and you know, it, we, we, we were all part of that, um southern california uh uh rock music scene at the time but honestly my heart was in was in the world of jazz you know i yeah. i because I, I, every night i'd go over and see shelly mann or uh lewis hayes uh, mm-hmm. with uh, freddie hubbard Ooh. or uh or uh, uh i saw the miles davis bitches brew band with Jeez jack and and dave in the rhythm section yep, and chick and, yeah you know wayne uh so I, I i was i was still pursuing a lot of my jazz um passion but uh but i was all uh, you know but i was immersed in the in the rock world too uh mm-hmm. we played the fillmore west and cool. uh, and we'd fly up to detroit and play a some gig there. We opened up for Doctor Doctor John. Yeah, <laughs> like, New Orleans. I don't know how he got his doctorate.
1: but <laughs> Whatever. Start calling yourself Doctor and Doctor John. <laughs> I, I guess, guess you man. can. <laughs> doctor of the New Orleans Grooves, man.
0: Yeah. So you know, I was a jazz kid, but uh, uh, for a couple of years there, I was I was playing a lot of rock things. Yeah. But then when I moved back to Minneapolis. Uh, uh after i graduated from college i uh then i I'm, totally immersed myself in the in the local jazz scene
1: yeah is that
0: before you went to new york so like you went
1: to new york after yeah. being in minneapolis for yes. a little while yes okay
0: yes i was in new york in 73 and 74 pretty much living there playing full time and just uh, mostly, uh, you know, Adam. I was mostly crashing on guys' couches. Yeah, is what I was doing. But mm. yes, <laughs> and and that's where I was taking uh, lessons, and uh, uh, and of course, saturating myself in all the
1: clubs every night. Right. as much as I could. Yeah, I always imagine that i would end up there or be there at some point and i haven't i've played there a lot i've toured there a lot yeah but what's that energy like kind of being in the city going to clubs maybe going to jam sessions did you feel like that had a different energy than hollywood a different energy oh absolutely like a more of a yes
0: it's the city that never sleeps yeah you know what are you going to do there's there's action and uh, like twenty-four hours a day, yeah. At, at least there was a, back in in the seventies. You know, it was, and and Manhattan was uh, quite a bit grittier hmm. than than it is now. It's it's gentrified, and right. you can hardly afford to live in Manhattan at this point. Right. Uh, uh, and I was toying. I, I certainly was toying with the idea of moving there. Absolutely. Hmm. Yeah. But um, there were. Two things that kept me from actually doing that. Number one, there's a genius on your instrument on every goddamn street corner in New York, <laughs> just a, a killer yeah. guy that's like leagues, uh, leagues ahead of you. Right. And uh, and, uh, and number two, I was already um, relatively in demand in in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Sure. So I, I, I felt, well, I can play every night. Really, in those days, we, us guys, we all had six night-a-week gigs and then Man. would go to jam sessions after the gig or uh, or another uh, g- uh, concert on a Sunday, you know, whatever. And uh, uh, so I, I thought I really wanted to be playing a lot and there were good players here as well mm-hmm. it's just that uh they, they can't really advance your career as much as as trying to you know get a gig with brad Meldow right whoever you're what whatever you're aiming for there and so i i re- honestly i felt like i i'd i'd rather be a big f- frog in a small pond sure than a. uh, uh, uh than a Mr. Nothing in New York. Yeah. And it's absurdly expensive, too. Right. right? And, and I didn't, you know, I don't, uh, I don't have, I've never had a lot of economic means. Sure. So there's that, you know. Yeah. And so that's, I mean, when you talk about making it in the music business, there's two dimensions to that. Uh, there's economic, And there's musical, yeah. So I mean, and both of them are pretty darn important Mm because they they feed off of each other. They influence each other, and so. But honestly, I always kind of believed if you take care of the music, the music will take care of you. No, Mm. that doesn't. That means that you can't. That means you shouldn't believe that you need a brand new Lexus. Right, or lifestyle is a part of it. Exactly. Right. So you better, better be happy with eating peanut butter sandwiches, and that's cool. Yeah. And uh, and and I've lived in five hundred different band houses with other musicians, Mm -hmm. and you got to figure out who's going to clean the toilet or somebody's raiding your shelf in the refrigerator. You know, all of that. Sure. So that's that's all part of it, but if you if you have enough determination drive and obsession and passion Mm -hmm. for doing this music then uh, then you can do it Uh, I mean that's the most important thing
1: yeah absolutely I've always felt that way yeah it's taught like the the lifestyle things a tough pill to swallow and and one of my missions has been to like go like how can I maximize what I make on the music that I make? You know, it's like making original music. Yeah. Are there ways to, you know, I've been thinking a lot about sync licensing lately and like getting my music into film and TV and commercials. And it's like, that can be a real chunk of change. Yes, indeed. And you guys, like, I imagine that there was a time in the cities, you're talking about six nights a week playing mm-hmm. where there was studio work too. And maybe you guys were even yes. getting residuals. Like, what was that? Was that happening? Were you, a I, part did, of
0: that? I did a little bit of that. Um, uh, a handful of uh, jingles and commercials, y- yes, and once in a while uh, they'd pay uh, into the musicians' union trust fund, mm-hmm. which was pretty darn handy, uh, because a lot of us, because uh, that's that's set up uh, pretty well. But uh, but for a lot of us, jobbing guys that do casuals and myriad. Uh, small time gigs hmm. um uh that 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 doesn't get paid into the the fund i mean uh, the, that fund is set up so that the guys in the in the studios get the residuals yep. the guy uh, the guys in the um orchestras always do yep. and uh also uh, uh shows all the all the uh, kind of theatrical shows, right, Broadway course, stuff. That's yeah, usually theaters. those guys uh, get pay, their trust fund, their musicians' uh, uh, pension fund yep. gets paid in. So uh, and I so I didn't really get in on a lot of that. Uh, some of my peers
1: have. Yeah, Met, right. Uh, and good for them. Sure. That's like a grind. That's like that's almost like your clock and your ticket. Your contributing to a 401k and then you're like hoping you can retire or something. I did some of those shows, yeah. man. And like I did children's theater stuff. I, right. I did stuff while well, we did a show with, uh, with Joe Voss. Yes. Which was super fun. That was my first thing that was sort of like that. Yeah, yeah. And then later I, got more stuff. I did like the whiz and I did uh Matilda at the children's theater Excellent. and I got asked to do right before we moved. I got asked to do a show at the oilway and I was like, Oh, it's happened. I played at the Guthrie a little bit. I subbed for both guys on right. uh, West side story. Yep. And I could see the appeal, you know? Yes. It's like, you're there, you got regular work, you got right. a paycheck coming in, you got money going into a fund mm-hmm. that theoretically you'll be able to get back someday. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, and, uh, not unlike teaching a lot, it, it takes a lot from you, you know, it like, it sure. takes a lot of your energy and time. And it becomes more like when I was doing those shows, it became, I was almost like getting depressed. It's like, man, I'm playing the same music every night. Yes, you. Like, are. I'm a creative person. I want to be making creative music. And that's, that's not what that is, you know? No, correct. That's like a show up and execute. And then you, like from a trumpet playing standpoint, it becomes like, now this is the only thing I can play. It's like a weird your your body like ends up adapting to the show instead right. of being and able to be flexible to and do something to thing.
0: Rather than expressing yourself somehow in ways that you you really uh
1: would like to do. Yeah. And that might be like that might be the path for some people, of course. Absolutely. Like some people want that like regularity and yeah. consistency and But yeah, I always felt like that. Maybe I would dip my toes in that occasionally, but that wasn't really like the thing I wanted to do. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, yeah, me, that's my philosophy also. I, uh, and even today, I, I uh, end up turning down things that I, uh, that I don't think I'm, will actually interest me and yeah. i'm not a wealthy guy at all you know i'm <laughs> i i, uh, I still uh, have to eat my peanut butter sandwich but uh oh, the other thing th- there's two other economic things here that i want to talk about just for ha- a second yeah absolutely number 1 uh, it, uh, it, it if you can at all afford to buy a house somewhere yes and it's really difficult now way more difficult than when I was younger and bought a couple of houses mm-hmm. uh that um that's a that and actually paying off the house I mean my wife and I paid off our place uh years ago and that takes uh that eliminates a big nut from our uh, our ledger right <clears throat> the other thing uh is uh uh I don't have any kids sure
1: that was a conscious and, decision, like a decision yes. you all, you both made together. Or? Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and
0: I, uh, God bless all of you that have children. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. Yeah, I don't know how you balance your checkbook <laughs> with with children. Uh, but um, for me, uh, th- th- that seemed such an. an uh such an obvious choice given that i've wanted to pursue this lifestyle mm-hmm. of playing creative music as much as possible for decades and yeah. uh, that and i could see where that would be a pretty good sized impediment
1: to doing so Yeah, but it certainly makes decisions. You have to consider something else when you make decisions.
0: For sure. I'm not being
1: judgmental for anybody else, you know. (laughs) Yeah, so how then you've been here a long time in the cities. You've seen the way things work in the music industry change many times over. Mm -hmm. How are things different now here in the cities let's just talk about gigging like the gigging life you're trying to make money you know playing five six times a week if you can i was certainly doing that here i was playing all the time yes saying yes to everything and over time would sort of be able to say no to some things you know but how like how have you seen things change is is there a difference in the pay scale like were you guys making more money compared to today do you think per gig it has have things changed in that way uh a little bit um,
0: years ago uh, there were um, many more venues that had li- live music uh, so you could walk into a, a hotel lobby or uh, 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 a saloon somewhere and there was always somebody playing yeah or singing, singing with a band mm-hmm. and so that I did that I did that uh, all through the 1970s uh, and all those things were six nights a week and that has all evaporated um, uh, uh, partly because um, music is now so ubiquitous that it's it 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 almost to uh, to joe average public it almost is uh irrelevant yeah in in years past and actually for millennia past whenever there was live music uh that meant that this event is special you know if it was a wedding or it was a a a dance or uh, your tribe got together to uh, uh, praise whatever deity they were praising yeah then then all the drummers got together and everybody got into a trance and and that made it special yeah <clears throat> and now uh everywhere you go on the planet there's music playing behind you so it's it's the the specialness of of having live music for an event is is practically uh, meaningless at this point hmm. uh, uh, compared to what it used to be. Right, A- right. And so, so I understand that uh, that I, I understand that problem. Um, uh, but even even so, given that problem, uh, the the creative music venues uh are always in flux mm-hmm. so th- these things pop up and here today gone tomorrow okay that's fine right uh, uh but they're they're always a little something new there's something else going on or another situation where where a lot of us guys still can can play and and that's what i center myself on i i don't uh uh, it, 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 I don't think it's any worse than it, than it used to be for creative music. Hmm. And honestly, I don't, uh, uh, but I'm, I'm in a lot of different bands and different musical situations. So, uh, I, I, I might, so I, I'm, it's nice to be able to
1: do that, but, uh, yeah. I mean, I imagine that like creative music was always sort of niche. Yes. And so... In that way, it's like there are still people that want to hear that kind of music and like gather for it. I I think so. Yeah. I
0: think so. It, 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 and it, it, I th- I think it's honestly I think it's uh, almost as healthy as it always has been. Wow. So there and there's a lot of our peers that grump about that, of course. Yep. But uh, <clears throat> places are out there, and if you can't find a place that wants you, then you. You can start to try to develop a place, and I've I my hats off to a, a lot of people that are entrepreneurial enough to make a situation happen for them, right. where they
1: can play the music that drives them. Right, and that's really like locally, Artist Quarter was one of those spots, Absolutely. Right? With uh, with Kenny Horse, too. Oh yes. What did he like? Did he create that place? Was that like his spot always, or did he buy it from somebody? Do you know? Uh, Kenny has always been um, uh, uh, very
0: uh, ambitious about making a situation happen. Hmm. I mean, there's been three Artists Quarters, Right. Three. three incarnations of the of the concept, and uh, even before that, uh, Kenny used to book a lot of different rooms uh, around the Twin Cities.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: Yeah, and and. Uh, and it was all healthful, wonderful stuff. I used to go see F- Phil Woods Quintet somewhere uh, yeah. with uh, Tom Harrell, Jeez. Uh, not at, at the Artist Quarter, at a place called uh, Williams Pub uh, on the corner of Lake and, um, Her- and Hennepin. Anyway, okay, uh, 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 and there was about fifteen other places too. So he's always. Ha- uh, been very dedicated toward that I, I, so he booked that band that phil woods quintet oh absolutely wow. yeah and cool. and uh, i saw cedar walden with the uh, sam jones billy higgins no sam jones wasn't on that gig um might have been williams what's his name anyway uh so so that's proof that uh uh that you can invent a, a, a bit of a space or invent a bit of a venue.
1: Yeah, absolutely. For yourself, or, I think a lot of young musicians think about that now. They think about DIY yeah. spaces, home concerts. You know, yes, pe- people put together whole tours of that kind yeah. of stuff. You know, and, we, and I think a lot about like anchor gigs. So right, like right now, I'm in the middle of this trip where I'm doing a guest artist gig at. I just did a guest artist gig at University of Mary in Bismarck. And then uh, Wednesday, I leave to go do one in Fargo. So it's like two yep. two in North Dakota in the same week. And if I wanted to, it's like I could have gone like, okay, I have an excuse to be out here. Like I'm doing this with the podcast. I've got an excuse to be out here. So I'll spend a couple of days in Minneapolis. So I'll do two days in the studio. I'll interview some people that I've wanted to talk to. But what I could do is go like, I'm going to bring my trio Supercell and I'm going to supplement those smaller gigs with these like bigger chunks of money you can get from right universities right or like high schools or whatever, you do these like sort of educational clinic type things. Yes, get a big chunk of change, use it as a anchor to be able to fund the rest of the thing. Uh, and for me, like academia has been really interesting because my school will. They, like they you know you're encouraged to go do these things because it's our professional development it's our version of professional development making new records going on tours with bands doing guest artist gigs mm-hmm. so they'll pay for the van and the gas right for me to do a supercell tour which just makes the whole thing work it's like without having to pay for that stuff out of pocket we can play whatever club we're able to book we can put little tour runs together right but yeah it's like there are people that make their whole things off off of this. Create your own scene, create a spot, even yeah. if it's not a traditional music venue. You know.
0: Yes, yes, that can be done. Uh, I've never really done it myself, but uh, uh, I have the most admiration for those guys that uh that do that um, yeah max yeah. santiago did it at uh, jazz central yeah jazz central you know, yep. it, uh, the, and it's it's
1: it's an age-old uh formula for yeah for doing this stuff i've said a long time network. too that you know jazz central was integral for me because that came around as i you know moved to this town right and when i started my big band we were the first big band to play there. Excellent. You know, we yeah. played there every last Tuesday of the month for my first year of doing it. Yeah. Our first year and a half maybe. Until we were over fire code and the fire fire marshal kicked <laughs> us out. So we moved to the artist quarter. <laughs> yeah. We played a couple Tuesdays at the Artist Quarter right before it closed, you know. Yeah. And we it was crushing and we actually got paid. I could actually pay everybody a little bit of money because we got the whole door at the artist quarter, which is sort of unheard of. You know. Yes. But Davis would be sitting there collecting cash and You know, I'd get a big wad of change around a thousand bucks on a Tuesday and be like, man, I can pay my band, you know, 50 bucks a person. What a rarity
0: for a big band. (laughs)
1: Right, man. And it was just a great way to like develop as a performer, as a writer. It's like having that kind of space or these kinds of spaces is really invaluable for young artists. Yeah. You know, so let's talk. We're talking about creative music. Let's talk a little bit about your band with Bill Carruthers and Anthony Cox. I was just listening to your 2009 record a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. One that I sort of missed. I did never listen to it before the last few days when I when I reached out and was like, do you want to hang and talk? Uh, how did that band come about? Uh, you know, Anthony Cox and Bill Carruthers both have sort of like rubbed shoulders with some pretty huge names in the jazz industry. Oh, absolutely. Um, did you... You you grew up in Minneapolis. Bill Carruthers is from Minnetonka, right? Yes, and
0: uh, Anthony is from uh, the metro area also. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, uh, in the '70s, uh, late 70s, uh, Anthony and I lived together uh, and played a a whole handful of gigs around before he moved to New York. So we're old comrades in that sense. Cool. both musically and personally. And uh, and uh, Bill, I started playing with Bill when he was in his late teens, I think. Uh, a lot of gigs around, and then he moved to New York. And uh, so then at, at some point, both guys were back in the cities, and uh, so that's when I made my first... Record. I think it's. I think we recorded that in nineteen ninety six, and then after that, uh, maybe most of ten years later, in two thousand six, I made my second record uh, CD with those guys hmm. called Easy Company, and yeah. uh, and both those records, uh, uh, you know, they're still available, and but um, they got. Uh, they got some national press and uh a lot of decent reviews and um but i i i couldn't quite get i both guys were busy doing a lot of things so i couldn't quite put together enough touring in in like either through the midwest or i i couldn't put together enough touring to really uh get that off the ground yeah sure is is the thing um, because it it needed exactly what you were talking about. <clears throat> uh, for instance, one college, uh, uh, clinic demonstration exhibition, one clinic, uh, in the, uh, uh, and then concert at night. It needed a couple of those from the colleges, right. To be the linchpin for a handful of other gigs in the area you know I, i'm not telling yeah, anything no new. It's great. I you love can just said all this stuff too, yeah. you know so uh then you can you can you can afford to travel right and uh and take care of uh, travel transportation costs and and uh uh rooms and meals uh and still play a lot of little places that would that aren't going to pay you Right, what you really deserve. Right, but that one, one or two uh, uh, gigs can kind of be the uh, the grounding, uh, the uh, the main uh, uh, bullseye for
1: your tour to to finance it. Yeah. So did you did you hire a publicist for those records? Is that how you got no. those reviews? Did you mail things out yourself? How oh did I you... mailed everything on myself. Yeah. Yes,
0: Ooh, of course. It's yeah. a lot of work.
1: <laughs> Do you... Well, yeah. Do you feel like, uh, so I, I've gotten maybe a little bit jaded surrounding this, but you know, I did my first couple of big band records and really, uh, just wanted to use the people in my band. I didn't want to bring somebody famous into the band to like, to like, you know, put a name on the record or whatever. Right. Like a lot of people do this. is like a formula, Absolutely. you know, it's like, let's bring in Rich Perry to be a guest artist Absolutely. and then I'll right. get downbeat to review my record. I was like, my band has a personality. We've been spending every last Tuesday of the month playing for years in Jazz Central and it's Artist Quarter. Yeah. Like, this should be the band that records. This should be the band that's featured. We have a personality as a yeah. band. Um, and my first record did well. Like, somehow, I—I got guy at iTunes found it and listed it as one of the best jazz releases of 2014, which was really Good. cool. And I did hire a publicist to like, try and get some reviews. It was, there was some small things. It wasn't, nobody like Downbeat or Jazz Times has really ever acknowledged that I exist. And I think it's because I've acted in this way. Do you do you think that having Anthony and Bill, because of them being in New York City, did that help? Did people recognize their names when you sent stuff out? Was that a factor? Or were you just like, it was the music and the music was great and that was all it needed? Uh,
0: I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it was much of a factor, honestly. Because these... these so many of these reviewers get inundated with like f- 57 albums yep. every day, yep. you know, as, uh, with name guys on it. So right. I don't know if that really helped with uh, getting good reviews or not. Uh, although I did, I, I, I've done a handful of tours in Europe with Crothers and um I did talk with uh, people there that were interested in that trio cool so that you know uh, but maybe not interested enough or didn't have the connections
1: to, enough to, for me to make a, a European tour happening but um, how do those Europe tours happen are oh, those Europe gigs you played a little in Europe Was those festival gigs yeah okay
0: no no excuse me they some were were festival gigs but then augmented with the other smaller jazz club venues in yep. paris or or brussels yep uh, or
1: milan wherever we we were did you find that over there the audiences were more receptive promoters were more active in promoting the shows like that's certainly been my experience absolutely yeah
0: absolutely you know i th- i th- in europe and japan The audiences there are much more accepting and attentive and appreciative than the classic American audience, I think. And so even though you're bringing a little something new to them, they still recognize that you are there as an artist expounding or emanating... whatever stuff is in your heart and soul and they they respect that artistry or that commitment to to the to the art and and it uh and and the same thing about japan i've never uh toured japan but uh from uh, a lot of our peers that have been there
1: i hear similar kinds of uh, anecdotes yes i've heard that as well yeah and there's like these hotel gigs you can get and they'll put you up and you could be there for six months playing every day and yeah yeah uh yeah that's it's pretty interesting jan and i've been just recently we've been like should we move to europe you know it's like (laughs) we're already kind of out in the woods in the up yeah yeah you know it wouldn't be that crazy you know and it'd be an adventure and our boys are still young and it's like they could learn a new language pretty fast sure you know what i mean and there's an audience over there, and a couple of American jazz musicians move over. Yes. You know what I mean? Like we, Yeah. We've considered it. Um, okay, cool. I've got a <laughs> um I've got a couple like rapid fires Okay. Um, to ask you. Sure. So it's uh let's let's go with what's the secret to a long and committed relationship as a musician? You with your sweetheart? With your sweetheart. Oh my gosh. Yes. Uh
0: it's um uh, well that, uh, <laughs> I've been in one I I've am in one now. Yes. It's just delightful when you find your soulmate. Uh I I I think it's it's uh as you know, the word love You could say, well, yeah, you have to really love each other. But it's also respecting uh, the other person's drives and what they need to do in life. And so um, uh, it's that kind of give and take where uh, it's the amount of uh respect that uh you can give each other for uh, allowing the other person to to be free enough to l- live their own life and and have uh have their own schedule mm. uh that uh is is really um of the most importance uh uh we uh uh, personally i i uh we uh we had um my wife's mother and father living with us for 10 years yeah. they passed away a year ago so in my house here's my mother-in-law and my father-in-law living right here at this very table yeah never leaving yeah and um <laughs> and and, and uh so this went on for 10 years yeah. and and we were uh, caretakers for 10 years and <clears throat> the most wondrous thing is uh that my wife never once said jay i don't want you to take that gig uh because uh, we got to do something with mom and dad or right uh, can't can, you you're doing another rehearsal here at the house tomorrow? Oh, I, uh, there was n- not once in ten years' time did uh, did that living situation ever uh, uh, nudge out my yeah. schedule yeah. for for pursuing this life of music that I've been doing for decades. That's awesome. And so I'm I'm very blessed for that. Anyway, that that's just one little anecdote for uh, if if you find the right person in life that can that can that is generous enough uh, and unselfish enough to give you that, wow, that's worth its weight in gold, ain't it? Yeah, uh, man. Big time. So uh, th- that's all I know uh, uh, is. Uh, uh, is you got you got to take care of your relationships too you know yeah that's they don't just magically appear and you have a good time in the bedroom and you go out and life is a big wondrous uh, uh, garden of, of pleasures and delight uh, right but there's a lot of little little work things I mean you have to figure out. Which one of you is going to clean the toilets? Who's it going to be? Yeah. Do you take turns. What are, you know? What are, yeah, right? It's
1: like, okay.
0: Right. There's a lot of that <laughs> negotiating, and and um, that's all part of uh, keeping a balanced uh, relationship happening year after year. Right. Right. Cool.
1: Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, Desert Island Time. So, yeah. uh oh, what ahead. are your Desert Island albums and one of them has to be yours. So let's maybe do like three records and then one of them's yours. That I made? That you're a, one of them's a record that you made or that you're on. Uh and two or three others that you're allowed to bring along. Of course. <laughs> uh
0: I uh, well, I really love um um my record, the first uh, CD I made with uh, Crothers and Anthony Cox uh, called uh, Long Ago, mm. uh, that has a nice uh, uh, amalgam of uh, kind of some loose things, but some r- really uh, wondrous uh, swinging things too. And both guys are like absurdly brilliant. on mm-hmm. it, And, and uh, so that feels good. And... But uh, there's the the the, uh, the the first album I have to take along with me is uh, Now He Sings, Now He Sobs. Chick Corea, mm. Miroslav, Roy Haynes. Yeah. Uh, for any drummer, uh, I, I consider that uh, I consider that trio and particularly Roy's playing as uh, the Bible. Mm. that's 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 uh that's the bible for me uh other than that uh you'd want um you'd want uh you could well you could use uh west montgomery and winton kelly trio uh smoking at the half note because mm. it's so absurdly swinging and uh there's nothing wrong with uh for a totally different mood is uh uh Coltrane's ballads oh yeah Yeah. uh and that if that isn't enough to make you cry in the middle of the night then then your your heart isn't beating Hmm. Uh, luckily I was I as a kid I was uh, lucky enough to see the Coltrane quartet in yes uh, 64 or 65.
1: I think I've re- read your story on this. <laughs> yeah. And I would love it if you would tell that, because oh. it's just like the way you say it, like you shoot daggers through my heart. It was like, yes, you know,
0: like that. That's what it did. So I've been listening to, uh, I was, uh, I think I was 17, a senior in high school. And uh, uh, i had been, I've been playing jazz for a few years and with my uh, all my young comrades and uh and i've been listening to coltrane and miles of course and and i loved uh at that time uh, live at the village vanguard and i and i and obviously as a drummer you have to deal with elvin yep some point you got to go this is quite something Mm -hmm. uh i want to get near this and uh and and i loved coltrane just loved him he spoke right to me anyway we uh go uh, uh one of my other jazz pals uh, and i drive up uh, 120 miles to see him at the guthrie theater yeah and for for two hours i was uh absolutely mesmerized and enchanted and in fact i was uh it was, I, I felt like I'd, I'd well, I, I, I had never seen or heard music like that. And I was already familiar with Coltrane's playing. Yeah. And Elvin and McCoy. I, I, I'd already listened to him on myriad albums, and yet to be in the same room... It was like I, I was like in the middle of uh I was like I was standing on the seashore watching a tidal wave come at me, while there's a hurricane above me, mm. and I'm feeling an earthquake underneath me, and uh, it was it was just tremendous. It was more than the volume or intensity. Right. There seriously, there was. Seriously, there was something spiritual about that. That, uh, particularly from Train, I thought Train was speaking directly to me. Hmm. Now, this is an audience of what, five hundred people or something? Yeah. And I thought Train was speaking. I thought it was my brother, or or my father, or uh, all the people that uh, knew me in life, and he knew all about my foibles, he knew about my girlfriend problems, he knew about my <laughs> bad grades, he, he knew uh, 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 about uh, uh, my wanting uh, uh, to fix my car, he, he knew about my warts or my uh, uh, bad hair, anything. He knew everything about my life, and he was speaking directly to me, uh, I I never felt that from um in a you know, from a musician before ever in my life and and not quite er, ever since yeah. it was I I had a um, I had an epiphany Adam seriously I had I had an epiphany hmm. that this was so important what he was saying to me was so important that I I had to be part of something that was, that he was talking about. I had to be part of that music. Yeah. Wow. And uh, and that blew me away even more than Elvin. And, and as a drummer, I'm watching. Oh my God, I'm seeing this gigantic uh, icon yep. do things that I never even imagined, and yet train um uh, made me realize i i have to commit my life to this thing yeah that we do yeah uh, and and there's nothing more important than that
1: man that's beautiful and
0: and i still and, I, and i'm still there that's you amazing. know seriously i i was just practicing this morning before you came over yeah i'm i'm in the shed every day yeah just Trying to hone a few things and, you know, keep, keep my, keep, keep uh, all of my licks together that I already know, but, uh, but, uh, trying to push myself a little bit too all the time.
1: Yeah, man, that's awesome. Yeah. I left, uh, I was at a different school, my first year of college and Jana gave me a love Supreme. I hadn't really no. listened to that, you know, <laughs> okay. was, we had just started dating and she bought me this book um that Ashley Kahn did on the like the making of the record. And oh, so yeah, yeah. I started listening to the album and you know, like I hadn't heard anything like that before. And at first I was like, I don't understand this. Right. I'm not into it. Yeah. And then I listened to it again and again and again and again and it slowly became one of my all time, if yeah. not my all time favorite record. Um and I transferred schools. I mean I was literally like I was at school to do a Something else. I did... My whole life, I wanted to major in music. Somebody in high school told me I should go to school to be a pastor in for church. Okay. Because I was a charismatic person. I was sociable. And if you're a young person and you go to youth group and you're a charismatic person, they say, you're supposed to be a pastor. (laughs) And then you believe them because you're 16 years old. Um. And so I was at a school to do that and to do a trumpet performance degree. And I heard that record. And that was sort of like my permission because that's like his dedication to God. You know, he's like, he's got all this... It's very spiritual. Yes. And it was almost like permission for me to go, you know what, this is, I'm not supposed to be doing this other thing. Yes. You know, it was very, it was very quickly apparent when I got to the wrong school, it was very quickly apparent. So within a couple of months I was applying in other schools and I ended up going and studying with Fred Sturm at Lawrence and doing a jazz degree there. But it was that record, you know, Uh it was trained. It was like that voice that was just like piercing my, you know, it was like i've heard similar stories about train doing
0: that to a lot of us guys yeah seriously yeah there's there's something there that is so magnetic and so magical uh to those of us that can hear it other people and uh you know nowadays uh um there's so many guys uh, that are such brilliant technicians. You got you got a, a guy like uh, uh, Michael Brecker or a, a guy uh, 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 Chris Potter. These yeah. guys, uh, George yeah. Garzone, these guys are phenomenal players. Yep. But uh, but Train was the the groundbreaking guy to go yeah. in that direction. And influence all of those guys. Yep. And he and he still does that to me. Yeah. Today. Yeah. I'm gonna go, wow, I can't deny this.
1: Right. <laughs> I wonder how like where does that come from? Where does that ability to speak to people through <clears throat> instrumental music in a really deep way? I mean, like all the people you mentioned, Brecker and Chris Potter, it's like they all have <laughs> that ability to some degree. Absolutely. But not in the same way. Right. Right. As Train. Yeah. It's like I in that book, I remember reading that Elvin Jones, went, when he brought this, the uh, Love Supreme music to the band, you know, Elvin Jones was remembering that he told them in order for this to work, we have to play like we're willing to die for each other. You know, there was that and there's that it's like listening to that record mm-hmm. and just like thinking about that, man, it's like mm-hmm. so cool. Really?
0: Yeah well that uh it's uh i like that kind of powerful commitment and and i uh and there's a handful of players that i get to do something with uh luckily even at this point in my life where uh, uh where i get to snuggle up against uh, or snuggle up to uh somebody else on the bandstand that actually has that. I I just did that last night with Dean McGraw.
1: Oh man. Yeah.
0: And he's got that. Um and there's 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 a lot of guys that have that kind of uh dry, well, that kind of commitment and that kind of flavor yeah. to their to their psyche thankfully. Right. That one. Doesn't that keep us alive? Hell yeah. You know, rather than just going out and playing a playing a gig for a, a bunch of yahoos at uh, is in, in suits at a country club. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Man. All right. So one more. Um <laughs> sure. You. You. Oh, well, let's put uh, Love
0: Supreme on the on the Desert Island. All right. Yes. Told, of course.
1: That's definitely Sorry. one of mine. Sorry. <laughs> um. <coughs> So you haven't done a lot of teaching throughout your life. Um, Here's an opportunity for young people that are getting started in music. Do you have any advice? What would your advice be? Somebody starting out today. Um, uh,
0: Number one, uh, uh, if you're... We all have to p- practice our, our scales and rudiments. Us, we all have to do that. So I, I'd say, um, w- particularly when you're starting out, um, rather than, I'd say, uh, your metronome better be your best friend. Hmm. Let's make that our, our best pal. Yeah. Uh, because without tolerably decent time, you're screwed. Yes. You know what? You know, nobody wants to play with a guy who's who's either lethargic or wishy-washy or too aggressive and trying to spit out a whole bunch of n- notes out of his mouth. Nobody wants to. Uh, nobody wants to deal with that. I mean, very few people, you know. So you and the metronome should be just, that's your, that's your Siamese brother there. Yep. That's your twin <laughs> there. You should just get right next to him. Uh, that is, is number one. Number two is, um, if you're interested in this music, you better listen to it every day of your life. You hear you hear something playing in the background uh, right yep, now? Yep. Yeah, that that's uh, an internet radio station called the Oscar Peterson Channel hmm. that plays Oscar Peterson twenty four hours a fucking day <laughs> with no commercials. Yeah, is that okay? I mean, that that's uh, uh You know, it's just let's let's infuse our lives with the music that we're interested in all the time. Yeah. And uh, and that's that, that's uh, I think listening to uh, to the great masters that 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 really uh, uh, that really um, interest you and that really means something to you. I think that's severely important. Number three—that's number two. Number three is uh, you got to be playing with a lot of human beings, and so you'll figure out so that you can figure out what's this guy got. That how does how does he approach this music? Yeah. Now we all can play uh, 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 on Green Dolphin Street, okay, but how come? How come a lot of musicians play that tune well? And how do they how do they make it different? How, you know, when you hear Bill Evans play that tune, yep, it's it's different from Sonny Rollins playing the tune, or you know, there's there's something each guy brings a little something different to Green Dolphin Street or whatever you know, whatever yeah, whatever it is, and and. Uh, viva la difference uh, the, the, the the that's y- you have to figure out oh there's there's lots of ways of playing the blues hmm. I mean you could you could be ornette Coleman and play the blues or you could be B.B. King and play the blues right 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 <laughs> or it could be monk yeah. y- you know there I or chick Korea there's I, there's there's so much to learn here, it just considering the different uh, uh, pathways that these guys uh, f- find and and uh, present uh, a way of playing. And so that's really important for you to figure out too, yeah, that there uh, e- each of us have a little different approach to how we're gonna do this music hmm. and um uh, and th- some of it works and some of it's uh bs sure and and you got to be able to kind of hone into that a little bit and figure that out I self-awareness think. yeah yeah so uh that's the other thing is uh, playing with as many people as possible uh, rather than just three or four of you, really good buddies that are really good players okay that's cool that's fine yep but there's a whole universe of other spirits out there that you got to know or that's important for you to know oh what does this guy bring to the to, to the whole thing is he is he earth or water or fire fire or air yeah what which direction is this and and how valid it is it to what I want to be doing? So, and that's the wondrous thing about playing what our, playing this this genre is that we can all find a way to express ourselves, uh, whether it's ornette or BB King. You know, these are yes. very divergent kinds of things there, but uh, you, it's still. Both of them are valid, right? So I, I, uh, I think that's of all, all. What did I just name? Three or four things? Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: No, it was perfect. Three things. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll put it in the show notes too for those of you that want to remember those three things, <laughs> okay. and we'll put Jay's Desert Island Records in the show notes. Uh, and I put say, in
0: that uh, we uh, we we don't uh, we shouldn't uh, be paying for expensive meals at uh, restaurants and expensive whiskey e- either because uh, you need uh, you need money for your rent and for your car maintenance and uh, yeah man for the basics in life because uh, be careful with your money yeah I mean I'm a penurious guy you know yeah. and that's the way I've Uh, that's the way I, I can exist and play this music for decades.
1: Yeah. Thank you for your wisdom. Um, (laughs) dude, you, I said you weren't a teacher, but you, you know, when I moved to town, when Evan moved to town, when Brian moved to town, uh, you, you were super always down to play with us. And I felt a lot like, you know, we would come to your house sometimes and rehearse here and, uh, we appreciated that you were always down to, to hang and play, and, and we learned a lot. So Good. thank you. Good. Yeah, man. We did it. Thanks so much for listening to my conversation with Jay Epstein. If you dig the show, please send it to a friend. Just, just copy the link, paste it into a text message. It's the best way to spread the show and to help it grow. The other best way is to subscribe to the show wherever you're listening. So if you there's a little plus sign. You can hit that. If it says subscribe, hit subscribe. We've got a YouTube channel called How Musicians Make It. And that's it. Thank you so much for listening. we got more episodes coming. See you soon. Peace.